0: Hey guys, welcome back to Shades of Brilliance. I'm your host, Sierra Venable. I'm glad you're here. It's just me and you today. My first solo episode um was went very well. I had a lot of great reviews on it. A lot of my friends and family were just like, "Yes. Like, this is so you. You're doing great. We love the first episode." And really, the theme of this podcast being Shades of Brilliance and themes of authenticity and living life in color and joy and success and I just feel like belonging is such a core part of this. I can't wait for you to hear some of these guests that I've already recorded as I'm recording this. They have the same stories. Um this journey towards finding themselves, this journey towards belonging and they realize that belonging started with themselves. It started with them. It didn't start with other things and external, you know, groups and material things it started with them and that's what i want to talk about today nobody told me that success comes with isolation nobody told me that in the first episode i talk a lot about how i felt isolated and i felt that it was part of this like divine kind of spiritual thing because i'm not honestly super religious i've become more spiritual as i've gotten older and as i've really begun to understand myself. I've become more spiritual, you know, synchronicities, signs, like angel numbers, you know, you're never really alone. But we have this culture of stagnancy and blending in to the point of numbness. And it's encouraged. Like that is what's comfortable. You know, that's what's successful in our society. Is if you can get the big white house, the picket fence, and sit at work for 40 years. Like, that's not what I think most of us want to be doing, especially Gen Z 20-somethings. You know, my generation, we're very, I feel like we're more conscious. We're just like, this cannot be what life is, you know? And I think we've had that realization through COVID. You know, how many people, how many people's parents told them, oh, this is going to be the best four years of your life, college? Uh, They couldn't predict the global pandemic. so. I feel like we we went from feeling gypped to really feeling liberated. And I almost feel like our interaction with death is more real. You know, with climate change and like all of these really scary things, it feels like our political system is falling apart. And this is a global thing, by the way. I'm not talking about just America. I'm talking about like just globally. I feel like Gen Z is just like more in touch with... But this is all over in twenty years, you know. If Florida and California fall into the ocean, who am I going to be, really? You know, like, like wh- what really am I about? And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the twenties. I recently read a book called The Defining Decade, and it has really helped me hone in on what's important in my life. And I want everyone to hear this because the decisions or the choices we make now really affect the way we launch into the lives that we really want. You know, there's a reason that in your twenties you feel this pressure and then everybody reassures you that, Oh God, well, you have so much time. Like don't stress. Like you have so much time just drink and party now, you know, have a lot of crazy sex. You know, life is over at 30. What I would like to offer to you is life begins now like you don't have to wait until you're 30 and 40 to grow up. And I feel like in our society again with stagnancy and oppression and all of these like big themes what really is life? Like if you push off everything until your 30s, a lot of 30-something spend their 30s undoing the mistakes of their 20s. You know, all of the unintentional choices that they make that they made and all of the regrets. And so I wanna talk about this because I'm 21 and I feel the pressure of becoming and being successful all the time. And this, this pressure that, like, oh my God, the choices I'm making now are affecting everything. But then you're reassured, like I said, by people that are like, oh God, well, no, you have so much time, just forget about it. So this book, The Defining Decade, they're calling it The Four Alarm Call for 20-somethings. And they would be correct. The book is written into four parts, career, love, the body, and the brain. So it's written by Meg Jay. Let me just roll back a little bit. The whole book is written by a, a woman, an incredible woman named Meg Jay. She has a PhD, so I probably should call her Dr. Meg Jay. She's a psychologist and associate professor at the University of Virginia. So go Cavs. And she specializes on 20-somethings. So the whole book is written through the eyes of her clients. You know, they come in in their 20s and some of them don't have any purpose. Some of them um, are doing too much. Some of them are, you know, like just all over the map, but they're having these quote unquote breakdowns. Like collectively now we call that a breakdown. I don't know that that's healthy because a real like psychological breakdown is so much different than what we collectively talk about. But this kind of process of detaching yourself from the things that are not really you can feel sometimes like a death, like a spiritual death. And so the book is written through the eyes of these people that are going through this kind of spiritual death, or they don't understand X, Y, Z. You know, she's working with 20 somethings that they come in, they they lost her sense of purpose. And really, it's their boyfriend. (laughs) Really, it's their girlfriend. You know, like she's like, break up with them. You know, like this is what's causing all of this like strain It's because you feel like you have to be doing this. So it has this, this core theme of belonging and connection in the same way that this podcast is about that. She also has a doctorate in clinical psychology and gender studies from Berkeley. So I trust anybody with a gender studies degree, first and foremost, I feel like if you can understand the oppression of gender, then you can understand what authenticity is. We have divided ancestral divine beings into two categories, girl, boy. And it's so detrimental. It's so it's so oppressive. I don't want to get into too much of that today because I could have ugh, got a whole series on gender. I also took a women's and gender studies class when I was in psychology and it changed my life, my freshman year of college because everything i thought i knew about myself was wrong it was like shadowed by this oh you're a woman so you have to do x or you have to be this and i was super ignorant when i got to college like i didn't understand like pronouns like i was so like uncomfortable and really what it was was i was uncomfortable with myself so anyways i trust anybody with a gender studies degree a doctorate at that so her work is really fascinating and what i want to jump into right away is this concept of the urban tribe she opens the book and we're going to talk mainly about career today not about the love and the other portions of the book that are also fabulous but i'm going to talk about career because a lot of 20-somethings focus on the career like that's the focus especially in the beginning is like what am i going to do with my career and she talks about weak ties and strong ties this is really important because strong ties are this western kind of white supremacist way of thinking this idea that like when you relate to people and you think like people they are your people and you should stay around them and be loyal to them till the end of time that's a very like colonial mindset to be honest and as a black person a lot of times when i'm unattaching or or learning about these like western myths I'm realizing like, that wasn't naturally me anyway. And I feel like a lot of minorities go through that where it's like, I didn't really believe that anyway, but this is what I thought I had to do to survive in this Western world. So regardless, she talks about these weak ties and strong ties. And I'm just gonna read you a passage from the book that I think is really important and will honestly help explain it because I don't even think I could really explain it. She says, our strong ties feel comfortable and familiar. But other than support, they have little to offer. They're usually too similar, even too similarly stuck, to provide more than sympathy. They often don't know any more about jobs or relationships than we do. And whatever it is they do know, we have likely heard by now. Weak ties, on the other hand, feel too different from us, or literally too far away from us to be close friends. But that's the point, that's their strength. Because they're not just figures in an already ingrown cluster, weak ties give us access to something fresh. New jobs, new information, new apartments, new opportunities, new ideas, and even new people to date. They almost always come from outside of our inner circle. That's because weak ties know things and people that we don't know. They have perspectives that we may have not considered. Weak ties are bridges you cannot see all the way across. There is no telling where the conversations might lead. So that changed my life because. When I talked about in my first episode, I embarked on this journey of belonging. I was going to go to college, I was going to go to frat parties, I was going to find my people, and I was going to live a very happy, safe, comfortable life in numbness. And when I got to college, I realized that like I had to try so hard to attain these these strong ties, to find these people that thought like me. And this is a very like quintessential 20 something experience to have your big group, this codependent big friend group. Like it's supposed to be who you are when you're at 20, you know? And when I went to LA, when I had detached myself from all of these like groupthink organizations and these strong ties or ties that I thought were strong. I had to rely on weak ties. I had to actually be open minded. I had to actually put myself out there. I got what we would call lonely, which I actually don't think that's loneliness. I'll go into that later. But I just started realizing that, like, the whole big friend group thing is a myth. How many of you girls have had the trio experience? This is like a girl thing, girlhood, girlhood. How many of you have had the trio? I did that when I first got to college. I had a a codependent trio that I was a part of. Three girls, and it's a nightmare. It's like a round robin of just like (laughs) codependency. And it's great. And I want to say this too. Strong ties and friend groups are, I mean, we're hardwired for sociability and for like, we're social beings. We want connection. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't prioritize friends or that your friend group is a problem for you. I'm saying that when it comes to Admitting to yourself who you really are, your inner circle is going to reflect the same things that you think. So, when you want to take out a loan to go to school, you know, when you have this big idea to start this business, your inner circle is going to reflect to you all the fears that you're thinking yourself. You think the same way, it's a group think. And so, what I'm arguing is, is that really connection? Is that really connection? And I think in the 20s, your group is like your home away from home. It's your new family. It's your chosen family. It's a really big deal. So I'm not saying that that's not important. I'm just saying that in the biggest choices that you'll make in your life, you'll you'll have to go out on a limb. You'll have to go out on your own. Like you'll have to keep it to yourself and make it happen. Our parents are strong ties. I just told my mom the other day, can you hold your anxiety for a few days when I tell you something new? Because there we feel like it's our obligation as human beings to like shit on each other. Oh, that's not gonna work. How how dare you? Like we feel like we're we're helping people. We're helping. Oh, I'm gonna tell her all of the issues with moving there. Oh, you want to move to Germany? Well, this is what that means. Oh, you're gonna go here to school? You're gonna go to fashion school? How is that gonna work? you're never going to have a job. You're never going to make money. Like Sometimes from our own people, our own strong ties. And what's interesting is this book is saying psychologically, clinically, they've done the research, your strong ties, or what they also call the urban tribe. I hate that name for a lot of other layered reasons, but I'm sure some white man named it a phenomenon, urban tribe your urban tribe really holds you back because they reflect all of the things that you yourself think. And a lot of researchers say this. If you've ever um, read any Brene Brown books, Brene Brown is a fantastic researcher. She does research on shame and vulnerability. And the most authentic people, the people that are not bogged down by shame, are people that can exist on their own. They're not relying on their urban tribe, if you will, to tell them that they're good enough. They just have to step into it somehow with some bit of courage. And what's interesting, you'll hear a lot of scholars and um, religious figures say the same thing. Courage is really just you bringing along all of your fears. Like, you bring your fears with you to every level. That doesn't change. Successful people, they still have fears. They still have doubts, but they're doing it anyway. So I find that really interesting because sometimes, like for me, when I when I moved to LA, it was such a independent journey. Like I really had to rely on what I felt. And like when I went to the school, when I went to FITM, And I walked in there and I was like, I wanna see somebody. I was just, I was going on nothing. I was going on this blind faith that it was somehow going to make sense. And there were tons of synchronicities. There were tons of like, yes, you should be here, signs. But that's kind of what, in my opinion, the benefit is of being alone is that you can actually believe those things. How many of us experience something new and then run back and tell our close friends, our close inner circle? Like I've learned you have to hold things to yourself for a while so you can really hear what it is. When I say hear what it is, I'm talking about hearing your own inner self. It's really hard to hear your inner self when it's clouded by all of these opinions and perspectives. And like I said, that's what we feel like is our role as friends. I've got to tell her everything that goes, that'll go wrong with that. And we have we know the extreme version of that. We call that hater. Oh, she's a hater. And people now are self-titling hate, themselves as haters. Why would you want to be a hater? Because if you're a hater, like if you're somebody that just is constantly, or some, people, some haters think that they're being re- realistic, you know, oh, be, re- be realistic. That's not going to work for you. Then there's no, there's no possible way you can know who you are if you're focused on why everything else and everybody else's life is going to go wrong. And so this is a really big part of authenticity. And everybody that I know that is really authentic, that is really living outside the bounds of shame, they had like some kind of dark night of the soul experience where they were truly on their own. They got swept up in something and they had to go back to their roots by themselves. Like nobody was around, right? I had the same experience in my sorority. I dropped out. Everybody unfollows you like clockwork. Boom, 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 boom. Because that's that's the risk and that's the consequence of abandoning the group think or the urban tribe. So I want to get into that too, because a lot of people don't understand what sororities are. And I mean, honestly, I don't even think I do. Well, actually I do because I was in one. And let me just explain this. Well, this is why I bring it back all the time, because there are such extreme examples of assimilation, fitting in and like shaming yourself into oblivion. Sororities emulate corporate organizations and they emulate these big societal functions that like will push you into the abyss, right? Like we're taught that this is what's good for us, Right. They're also white supremacist organizations with deep roots and a lot of funding. So they have a headquarters. Every organization has a headquarters that operates I, And my what I think is kind of like a foundation. And so they acquire a lot of money from somewhere. I don't know where, probably from the, um, the alumni. And they have branches across the country. And so it's kind of like McDonald's. McDonald's has a headquarters. They started with one fast food chain, then they have them all over the country, right? So, sororities are the same thing. They're very corporate, right? Like, you have these um, chapters across the country in all these different schools, and the members have to pay dues. Some dues are cheap, some dues are expensive. In my case, they were like a hundred bucks or something like that. In the South and in big schools, they sometimes can be thousands of dollars. And the mothers, the parents, the alumni, of these organizations are more than happy to pay, right? So it's kind of like this big country club. We pay to be in here because it means something about who we are. And when we're around all of these people that think the same way, that are the same way, we can be normal. Like we can just be basic. Like I actually don't even know why they do it, honestly. Because I feel like it, it goes back to belonging. It goes back to this like pseudo, this faux connection. And like I said, it has this meaning for their identity. Like, oh, I was a this. I was a gamma theta. I was a, and I get it. I think it's cool, I guess, but it's so damaging when it comes to authenticity. And so let me explain some of the rush experience because another pro- part of the process is you register to rush you get this like t-shirt because you have to pay money. You pay like, I paid like 50 bucks or something. I got this t-shirt and then you line up. It's like this whole system, you guys. You line up and you go into each of the houses. Mind you, they're screaming and chanting in your face. They're banging on the windows. Like it's this whole out of body, like hell experience. And, you know, they're doing the chants and they're trying to be loud. And you go, and you're funneled into the house and you talk to, one person in each house. And so I when I, my first house I ever went into, I was like, should I be here? Because they were banging on the windows and doing all this stuff. And she asked me, hi, what's your favorite Netflix show right now? And I was like, are you kidding me? This is where you find your belonging? She asked me about Netflix. Like I was, I was totally expecting this deep, pro- it's not deep at all. It's extremely surface level. And I'll get to that in a second. She just says, Oh, what's your favorite Netflix show? And I was like, uh, actually, I've been watching this football documentary. <laughs> because you guys, side note, I love football. I grew up around it. I'm from the South. So football's a really big deal. And I actually find it really interesting because football is this system that exploits young black men. And there's really no, nothing that can be done about it. Like it's, it's like they're this big meat packing industry and they're just sold off like slaves, literally. So football is very complex and very intricate. And I love studying it because it's again, another form of this like urban tribe, this big organization, this big, you know, industry I told her about this I said hey yeah I love this this football documentary I've been watching it lately thinking that she would know about it or thinking that she would be curious no she literally didn't know what to say to me she was like uh, like I went off script right like I was supposed to say like oh I watch Emily in Paris or like something dumb like that which I actually love Emily in Paris that's a cute little show but you get what I'm saying like I went off script I didn't give the surface answer that she was looking for because I didn't know what I was supposed to be saying I was just being myself went to the next house and it's the same, same, same. Say you say boring stuff. Oh, what is, what are you watching right now? And, and oh God, it's just miserable. So I made it through the whole process somehow. I don't know how I did it. It was so draining because I was so trying to be what they wanted me to be. And anyway, I get to the end of it. I ended up getting into an organization you pledge. So then you basically have to, um, I don't know, do all these ceremonies and all these rituals. It's, it's very, very extreme. So this is why I, I, I give this example because it's such an extreme version of this urban tribe kind of group think experience. And I made friends. I still talk to some of the people in the organization that I was in. Um, ironically, a lot of the people that I am still friends with also hated the organization. <laughs> and that's a very interesting thing about these organizations they have a lot of members that cannot stand it, that feel like they're on the fringes of the group and don't want to be a part of it anymore. But they're just told, like I was told when I dropped out, oh, just stay, just pay the dues and just stay in the background because they didn't want to lose members. It was like more of a thing about them if they lost members. And I was like, F that. And I'm so glad that I did that because I would have never been here. Like this is the importance of authenticity and finding your own path. You make one choice that leads to another, that leads to another, that leads to another. It's a continuous journey. And if we're constantly living in this like basic, you know, level of comfort, you're never going to get to know who you are. And so on the flip side of recruitment, and this is what's key So I had done my first year, you know, the first year they're just smoozing you. So you get a big and you get all these goodie baskets and the whole nine and the hazing starts, you know, and people ask me that all the time, actually, were you hazed? Did you get hazed? And I would say this, the hazing is really like a slow psychological erosion for the frat boys, like for straight white men, fraternities make sense. Like they love to oppress They love to belittle. So frats honestly make a lot of sense for these like white men, Um, and they haze each other like horribly. This is that's what when you see like on the news, it's like oh he died from alcohol abuse and or you know he overdosed on alcohol and all those crazy things. It's horrible. Sororities are different because they have more rules because we're women, right? Women have more rules and there's more scrutiny for women. So this, the hazing for me was like a slow psychological erosion, like where you just slowly start to not really think about yourself anymore. And you start to think about yourself in terms of this big group. It's scary, scary, man. Scary. Anyway, when I was on the other side of recruitment, I'm like trying not to go into that because I don't want to get like fined or something or sued. I don't know. (laughs) When I was on the other side of recruitment. So now I was in my sophomore year. This is to give you like a bit of a timeline, I had, i had already moved back home. I think like I was, or I had come back home cause I just had COVID or something and they were starting the rush process. And I really was reluctant to do it at this point. I had already kind of decided like, I don't really want to be a part of this anymore, but I didn't know what to do. So I was doing the zoom cause I remember everything was on zoom at this point. So I was doing the zoom recruitment from my bedroom in New Mexico So I was logging on at like 11 at night or I don't even know, like at at obscene hours because I was across the country and I will never forget the process because now I'm in cahoots with what really goes on. When you're rushing, you don't know what they're saying about you or what they're making notes on about you. Like you don't really know what their perception is of you until you're on the other side. And then on this part, it's supposed to be more empowering. You're supposed to be like, oh, I'm on the other side. I'm a big girl now. Now I can abuse other people. Why oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I went to one meeting and they, it, was, it was so inhumane. And I thought to myself, how am I going to be Black and doing this to other people? It literally was like slavery. It was literally like slave owners deciding who they were going to buy. That's what it was, Truly. So dehumanizing. Well, I don't, you know, she looks like this. She looks like that. And there's never, and here's the thing, you guys, there's never really, or at least in my experience, there was no specific conversation about the way they looked or the way they appeared. It was all in the fold. So like the people at the top decided who was and wasn't allowed in. And then you, the other, the rest of the members could decide if they wanted this person to be in, like they could protest, like, Hey, she's my friend and I want her to be in. It was just like, what the hell is going on? Like, I really could not understand why I needed to be a part of this. And I could not dehumanize people the way I had been dehumanized. I couldn't do it. It was like too aggravating to my soul. Like, I really, it was like, oh, this is not good. It makes me sad to say that because I was okay with being dehumanized. And I didn't realize what it was until on the flip side, I was now being asked to dehumanize other people. And you're and you're all a part of it. So I don't even want to hear, oh, we're not dehumanizing people. You're all a part. You're all in cahoots. That is the plight of strong ties. If your friend goes and robs a bank, you're associated. It's that whole like guilty by association thing. It's important. If you're around a bunch of drug addicts, you might become one. If you're around smokers, you might start smoking. It's really important who you surround yourself with. And again, anybody who is living authentically, who is taking shame down day by day by day knows this, and they've had experiences with this, and they will tell you the same thing. I realized I couldn't be friends with them anymore. I realized I had to detach from XYZ. It's detachment. That's really the key. So why do I say all of this? Because when you are on your journey, hopefully you're not in a sorority, but if you are in one, take this with a grain of salt. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I love my sorority. I don't know how that's possible. Um, Because it's like, we're really infatuated with what it means to be associated to this thing. It has nothing to do with who you are. And I'm an advocate for selfishness. I am. I think in the English language, we're so afraid of the word selfish. Why? How are you not going to be selfish? You need to be if you want to know who you are. So keep that in mind. A lot of organizations operate this way, a lot of corporate entities, and it's hard to be a part of it, but not of it. And that's a lifelong struggle in any industry you're in, especially for me. Like I'm in fashion. I'm in the creative industry. That is groupthink. That is like a sorority in a different way. So I have to now balance my involvement with these things, not become of it. And when you don't become of something, you're alone. You clock in and you clock out. Or you don't fraternize with people. How interesting that word fraternize. Hmm. Fraternity. It all connects. I'm telling you. The other thing that is really important about the defining decade, she ends the career chapter or the career part talking about a customized life. This is really important because a lot of 20 somethings are being told, oh, well, you have so much time, you have so much time. And it's not that we don't have time, it's more like, don't waste the time that you have. Think intentionally now. And so she works with this client named Ian. This is like a part of the story in the book. And he has been told his whole life that go for everything, shoot for the moon. You know, you're so smart, you can do anything you set your mind to, so much that he's in paralysis over it. Like he doesn't know where to start he avoids starting on anything because it's too scary to start with one thing and then never make it. Like He he doesn't understand that like it's one choice that leads to another choice that leads to another choice. And he was just completely in paralysis over it. And a lot of men are. There's a lot of men in the book that she talks about who refrain from starting their lives because they don't feel like men yet. And she says, well, how do you become a man? You get a job. You start you start somewhere. And so that even really helped me because I feel like a lot of times as women, when we're picking partners, we're choosing partners and we're mating with certain people. The good guy, the guy that you're looking for has started somewhere. You know, he is invested in something. He may not be a millionaire yet, but he has a five-year plan you know, like we're so attracted to like these ideas of people and these ideas of things that we don't even really understand like what it is. So claim who you are and and one thing will lead to other amazing things. There's a lot of 20-somethings who don't make decisions. They just party. They just ignore it. And that's accepted, unfortunately. And my this book has changed my life because I feel like I have been, you know, involved in my story you know i've tried to work with what i have so to speak i've um you know moved to la i i took a lot of risks in terms of nobody in my life thinks this is a good idea but i'm doing it anyway or i didn't even have at the time I went to la i didn't even have a group think i didn't even have a urban tribe i don't think i even had a good friend like i was really isolated and i didn't understand why i thought that, i thought it was like a flaw I thought it was something wrong until I realized that that's a part of the journey. And I think, I'm not sure what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but I feel like a lot of people avoid being in their life because they're afraid of the loneliness part. And it's not really even loneliness. Like if I could just say that when I, I remember when I first moved to LA, and this is true for anybody who lives in a big city, like this is a common experience where you first get dropped off, you know, your parents drive away or- you move yourself in or whatever, and you like don't want to go to the grocery store. Like, how am I going to get there? Am I going to walk? Or am I going to Uber? Like, there's so many different options of transportation, but you have to go face the city. Like, it's it's a lot. It's very overwhelming, and that's one of the, the most beneficial things about living in a big city. And why I think a lot of twenty-somethings should find a way to live in a big city. I hate that word "should" because I don't like to shame people. I feel like with "should" comes shame. That's my new motive. My new saying. If you're shooting somebody into something or if you're shooting yourself, it it's really shame. So if you don't want to live in a big city, then don't. But I will say this, living in a big city helps you compartmentalize. Like you can be in the city, not of the city, right? It goes back to what I was just saying. When I moved to LA, I was so scared to go to the grocery store. Like, it felt like so, oh my God, how am I going to go? I'm going to walk there with my bags? What am I going to do when I get there? Am I going to check out? Am I going to self-checkout? Like, every interaction feels like this big monumental thing because you're so in this unfamiliar environment and there's somebody down the street cussing and there's somebody up the street peeing on the side of the road. Like, it's just too much. And the more I lived there, the more I started loving going to the grocery store. My favorite part of my week was walking to Whole Foods. Like, truly. And so it's interesting how that happens. And I think in any case, choosing yourself, customizing your life is the hardest but most freeing thing you will do, whatever that means, whatever that means. And I'm also a huge advocate for vision boards. Like jealousy is a great indicator. If you are jealous of somebody, if you're like, oh, I'm a hater. What are you jealous of then? Ask yourself, what are you jealous of? What are you jealous of? Are you jealous of that person that's living off in Germany? Are you jealous of the person that's having kids? Maybe you want to have kids. Admit it to yourself. That's what I have come in contact with, I guess, with my whole authenticity experience and you know detaching these things from myself is it is the hardest thing in the world to admit to yourself the things that you actually desire. Because, again, we're so ladled and etched into these group thinks, to these strong ties, to these urban tribes, that it feels embarrassing to admit, oh, I want to be in a good, healthy relationship. I want to live in France. It's, it can feel ridiculous to say that or to think that. And that's the danger of these big codependent ways of thinking is that you can do anything. There's nothing off limits to your life. But when you're around people that have never been to France, how do you think they're gonna react? Like they're not gonna know what to say. They're gonna show up with their ego and their ideas of what that means. It's really important. The weak ties are really important. And to refrain, weak ties are connections that we are rephrase. I don't know why I said refrain. Weak ties are these connections that. We don't really know yet. You know, if you go, if if anybody's on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a great tool, by the way, because I follow people that are in careers that I might want to be in. What are they talking about on there? Like, I would literally look up trend forecaster and find a bunch of them. Better yet, if you're a minority, find all the black women, find all the Asian women in the job that you want to do, and you'll start to see how possible it is. Follow people on social media, follow travel accounts. Like try to bring these things into your field of energy and sooner than later you will find them. My favorite story is when I went to London for the first time. I had just like had this thing about London and I didn't know where it was coming from. I was like, I don't know. My boss at the time was from Great Britain. He was from London and he, you know, talked like this or God, I can't even do the accent. Oh my God, I can't even do the accent that was so embarrassing. He was very, um, London and, you know, he would talk like this. I can't even do it. Oh my God. And for some reason it was because before I had gotten this job, I kept thinking about London. I didn't know why I was thinking about it. Like I really didn't know why it just came up for me. And a lot of times the things that impact your life so much start as whispers. They start as little inklings. Do not ever tell anybody your inklings. Don't tell anybody. Just sit on it for a while. Because when you tell the urban tribe, when you tell these close people, these this codependent group, oh, I was kind of thinking about going to London. Oh, isn't it rainy? Isn't it always gloomy? You're gonna hate it there. Why would you even want to go there? They don't get it, right? So something I learned very early on is don't tell anybody about your inklings, not even your parents, right? So I'm just having this thing about London for some reason. It was really just coming up for me. I went to, then I, I went to this interview, this job interview, and my, the boss, the CEO that interviewed me was a Brit. And I was like, okay, this has got to be some kind of like coincidence, like weird. Then I realized that my school was going on a London study tour. So super last minute, I was like, I'm going to go ask for information about the London study tour. I just knocked on our, um, what is her name? Like international affairs director or something like that for our school and she plans all the study tours. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to her and just ask questions. She said, yeah, we actually have some spots available. And the dates are September 22nd, which is my birthday to this date. And I was like, oh my God, my birthday. So then it's like, okay, is that another coincidence that I could be in London on my birthday? Like I just kept thinking, wow, wow, wow. So I talked to my mom because now I'm going to bring in some reinforcements, right? But I'm pretty much decided on this. I ended up, long story short, I went to London. It was fabulous. And there were so many synchronicities and illuminating things about that trip that changed my life, that led me to so many different avenues. And when you can see different things, it changes your choices, right? I could work here. Oh my God, I could actually do that. Wow. They get on the tube and they go home. I would love to live in a place of public transportation. like. Your whole vibration aligns to it. And so that's all. <laughs> I'm like, how do we wrap this up? I feel like I just talked a mile a minute. But if you are alone right now, if you're feeling isolated from the world, if you don't have like a big friend group, good, good. And if you do have a big friend group, try to manage how much of yourself you're giving to that organization, right? Or that group or that friend circle, right? Because chances are you th- they think the exact same way as you. So if you're trying to shake things up or do something different, you might have to face the reality that they're not your people, that they don't get it. Another thing I'm thinking lately is I don't want to put people in that position. You know, I give them some kind of sensitive information or I I tell them my inklings. I tell them something that I'm really holding dear to my heart. And I'm putting them in this position to say, oh, that's not going to work. And now we can't be friends, right? So with all that to say, isolation is not a bad thing. And I think it's really ironic that in our Western society that prioritizes individuality, this extreme individualism has ruined community, And it's the community that you, you know, find the strength to be who you are. But it's like because of our society, you almost now have to go backwards, find solace within yourself to create the community. It's like you have to go backwards to go forwards. And that's my point with this podcast. I don't want to leave a sour note in everybody's mouth about groupthink and about, you know, friend groups and organizations. We need community. But I'm arguing in this podcast that the communities that we think are communities are not really communities. They're just big organizations of abandonment. If you're in an organization or a friend group or with somebody, you're in a relationship with somebody who doesn't allow you to be yourself, then that's not community. And this is that's probably the biggest thing that I think I experience as a 20-something is this like Paralysis around. Is there something wrong with me that I don't have this big friend group? But I'm realizing that in the 20s you ebb and flow in different areas to build the life that you want, and that's what the artist, the artist, the author Meg Jay talks about in her book, The Defining Decade. And if you want to read this book, let me know. DM me because I have a copy, and I actually I might keep the copy. But let me know if you read it because I'd love to talk to you about it on Instagram. Um, Meg J talks about this. She talks about how she has 20 somethings come into her office and they're 26. And they're like, yeah, but all my friends are working at this restaurant and I don't know, I kind of just don't want to leave it. And I want to be here right now. And and I want to go to law school at some point, but not now. And I want to be a mom at some point, but not now. And she's like, well, you're 26. So if you're going to start law school at 26, that's four years of school. Plus this, this, you know, extra year of that. And then you've got to go intern and then you've got to go. So the time to do it is now. And then she sits with her 30 something clients who are sobbing. I had all this time. I, you know, met this guy and I just grabbed the first guy I saw because I wanted to get married. I didn't realize I wanted to get married. So it's like, she sees this dichotomy, this very black and white image of the culture of just, Oh, put it off, put it off, put it off. And how detrimental that is for the 30s somethings Because if the 30s are really your real life, the 20s are the preparation for that. So this is the time to be thinking about yourself. And if your community doesn't understand you, then it may not be your community. And a lot of times in your 20s, you're going to have to revolve your community. Okay, I'm, I'm leveling up. So I need to find the next community for this person that I am now. That, that's not talked about. And so that was a big part of my experience with authenticity and with just becoming more me. I don't think I'm the me-est version of me yet, but in becoming more me, I had to leave the strong ties behind. And you'll find that the strong ties that you thought were strong are not really that strong. They weren't even really ties, to be honest with you. And I do. I think that that's the plight of being 20. So thank you so much for being here. I drop episodes every Friday. So you can hit the follow button, I think, if you want to be notified. And please do. Just tap it really quickly if you want to follow. I think Apple Music and Spotify, you can hit the follow button. But other than that, I'll see you next week. Bye, guys.